Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques, and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 165. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Ballpark Music. The prolific indie rockers from Brisbane, Australia, recently released their seventh studio record, entitled Weirder and Weirder. In today's episode, we're speaking with frontman Sam Cromack about their prolific output, songs finding a second life on different records, and producing music for Alex the Astronaut. Here we go. Our guest today is the frontman for one of the most well-loved indie bands from Australia in the last 10 years. After releasing their self-titled sixth studio record in 2020, last week saw their triumphant return with the release of their brand new studio record, Weirder and Weirder. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours from Ballpark Music, Sam Cromack. Hello, how are we? Thanks for having me. I'm good. (laughs) My absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today, Sam. Yeah, no worries. It is a very, very exciting time at the moment. I know that uh, for many people, we've been missing out. Well, we've been missing out on a lot of music over the last few years or so uh, with everything that's happened. But um, right now, there is a new ballpark music record uh, out in the world as of as of last week. Uh, congratulations, Weirder and Weirder is is out now. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's uh, finally here. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long journey making a record and it's kind of, yeah, everybody's asking me about it at the moment and I <laughs> sometimes I don't know what to say, you know, like um, so much of the the journey for me and I suspect my bandmates feel the same uh, was all done, you know, last year. Like it's the creation period that's um, where I feel like I'm living inside that album the most and it's consuming all my thoughts. Um and yeah, so now it's just that weird time. I'm just looking forward to it not being, you know, mine or ours anymore. And um, I don't know, getting some feedback on it or just like learning to to process the whole thing again, have some new understanding of it. Of course, it's the um, the seventh record in the. I was trying to work it trying to work it out this morning. I think the first ballpark record came out in two thousand and eleven, so roughly eleven years. This is the the seventh record. Do you? I guess yeah, yeah. Referring to what we were just discussing, do you enjoy the release process? Do you enjoy revisiting all the work you've you've done and having to 
yeah, go through the, yeah, I guess the emotion of it again. Um, well, I, I don't not enjoy it. I just I find this little um, period of time leading up to the actual, you know, commercial release of the album to be one of the strangest. Um, and it's, I don't know if other artists feel the same, but yeah, it's like, you're just weirdly disconnected from the music uh, for a bit. I think, I think I keep making records with the band just because I love it so much. You know, I just have this drive to make music. And even after every release, you sort of think to yourself, oh, you know, maybe, maybe let's take a break, you know, like let's take a bit of time before the next one. But, yeah, it's really just in my blood. You know, before long I find myself in a room with Daniel, our drummer usually, and I'm like, oi, you know, like, I got a few songs, you want to play them kind of thing? Like, and before we know it, we're entertaining yet another album and that's typically how it goes. But, yeah, like I was explaining a moment ago, that whole um, time frame of creation, that wrapped up at the end of last year for me. You know, we had all our uh, bits done the, the, in December. The record was getting mixed and mastered in January this year. That's how early we had to submit everything to try and get vinyl manufactured on time, which didn't work out anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, but in saying that, yeah, suddenly it does sneak up on you. Suddenly people are messaging you like, oh, I've listened to the record, and you're like, oh, shit, it's really... <laughs> it's really out there now. Anyone can hear it. And um, I think the the real moment where I find myself back in amongst the music and the, and the new album is when we go to tour. Um, yeah, it's like a whole new learning experience, really playing the songs and, and performing them for an audience. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, of course. I can imagine with everything that's been going on, in, um, in the last two years, I imagine, or sorry, not imagine, Weirder and Weirder is quite an apt title just for the uh, the times that we currently live in. Uh, this is the, the the first album where you've you've got a you've got a song, sorry, you've got a title track on the record. There is a song called Weirder and Weirder as well. Did that? I guess uh, where did that song stem from? What was the inspiration for that song, and and what made you go? Yeah, this is the the first time we'll name the album after after one of the tracks. Um, in terms of that song, um, I think I just it's pretty simple song in a way. Uh, I just had some chords, like a little ditty that I was just strumming on the acoustic. Um, just felt pretty, and that tempo and stuff was really relaxing. I just kept playing it at home and then I started to sing some of the melodies with it and it just seemed to be the kind of song where like no other section was like coming and I was just it's just the same chords that for the whole song and I just kept singing different tunes almost like uh, almost like when you're in that early writing exploration stage you're seeing what's possible over you know, the, the chords you're mucking around with. And I think I just, I liked all the melodies that I was sort of making. I couldn't decide which one should be the song. So I, I think I ended up going to the studio to make a little demo and I sort of put them all in, all layered on top of each other. And it became a bit like, um, 
singing in rounds kind of thing with all these like <laughs> interlocking parts. Um, and I didn't really think much of it. Um, sort of just did the demo and, um, but yeah, uh, Dean in the band was like a really big believer in the song. Um, I, I didn't know if it, uh, the others were, you know, into it that much, but he kept saying like, I really rate that weirder and weirder song. And, um, that was when we did quite late in the album when you're in this real, like, who cares experimental, let's try anything sort of headspace because that feels like the bulk of the album is done. And, um, that was a song where it's like, let's just do whatever. And yeah, we had no structure for it or anything. We never saw like the instrumental outro that it has being part of it. It all just kind of fell into place. And we all, um, it's a real grower of a song. We started to all like it more and more. And then when it came time to try and figure out an album title, I think we've always like when making every record, we've had a quick look at all the song titles and been like, anything, anything here be good <laughs> for a record? Um, and nothing's felt right in the past. But, um, yeah, this song with that title, you know, we're all in the room chatting about it and it came up and everyone's just kind of got that feeling. Everyone's looking at each other like, that feels pretty good. Like, and it, and it definitely feels very right for the times, you know. Um, it's good that song wasn't written like, specifically in reference to COVID. I feel it's like more general, just getting older, mental health kind of song. Just I, I knew I wanted to have a song that said that my mind was a casserole. Um, <laughs> and, um, but, yeah with, yeah, with everything going on, Weirder and Weirder just felt like a great title. It really does feel like shit's just getting weirder and weirder. Not better or worse, just weirder. I would a hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> uh, the line, the the casserole line, is extremely. Uh, I feel um, like ballpark music esque, if you will. Um, like I think you're you're very well known for having these. Um, uh, what's the best way to put it? Uh, fun, kind of, not like. Uh, like ha ha funny, you know, but these kind of lines where you're, you're able to uh, like smart lines where you can chuckle to yourself um, for, for you knowing that you wanted to put that line in, do you have a, like a little notes Apple thing on your phone where you've just got like a list of, of one liners that you can kind of put into songs at, at different points? Um, no, I'm, I'm actually pretty bad with keeping notes. Um, these days when I was younger, I, I, um, and before I had a smartphone too, um, I had, I had notebooks and I still have kept them all. And I used to fill notebooks. Like I used to, I've always loved writing and I did a lot of English at school. Um, and, and when I was getting into music, I totally overlooked, um, or maybe I was just young and I didn't understand how much writing really did mean to me. Um, and I didn't think I had my own style or anything. I, I felt like I, I was just concerned with making music and just wanted to have a go. Um, so it's only been like later as more and more people have like referred to the lyrics and storytelling and stuff that I've started to like embrace it more or give it more importance and, and you know, really cherish that part of it. But these days, yeah, I... 
tend to just float along and try and just um, just remember anything that I, I feel like is actually going to be worthwhile uh, in a song. I, uh, I'm almost actively not like making voice recordings or writing things down anymore because I read, I, I think I listened to this Paul McCartney interview and he was talking about some of the early Beatles writing where they obviously didn't have any means of, um, you know, making a recording of, of songs they were working on. The only way for the song to get legs was for it to be good enough that they remembered it. They, they wrote songs that they had to remember and he said he really thinks that, like, focus their writing, you know. You really know if an idea is <laughs> worthwhile if you can uh, remember it the next day unprompted. So I'm trying to do more of that. I feel like if I really can't let an idea go and I haven't jotted it down or recorded it anywhere, it must be, it's, it'll probably get wedged in other people's minds as well. And the casserole is a good example of that. I just felt <laughs> like it was the best description I could find for how it felt to get older. It just felt like a, a meal that's on the stove and, you know, so like <laughs> someone's trying, like a meal is symbolic of, you know, um, love and, nutrition <laughs> uh, so you are trying but it just feels like more and more ingredients are going in which is uh not always better <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's a very interesting analogy for for the um for the human mind as we get older but yeah i i do think it's a very good one it, um it does the 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 track in the album itself is is gorgeous uh, I feel like it's still very much a ballpark record, but I feel like sonically there's these little further steps kind of pushing forward still, um, not rush, uh, not resting on any form of laurels. That's good to hear. <laughs> I know that, um, oh, what is it? Uh, uh, Manny, which is the, the opening track that has like a bit of a breakbeat part um, in the song. Uh, and I think uh, my favourite track from the record is Caramel, which you've experimented in. And I think that there's some some pitch shifting with the vocals and maybe um, the strings as well, possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Caramel um, was like my first little foray into like messing around with the vocals. Um, I actually was writing Caramel around the same time I was writing Cherub on the last album. I think the guitar tunings or whatever are like really similar. And um, I thought that Caramel could be a bit like Cherub and be this um, like, excuse me, soft acoustic sort of number. And um, I was sort of demoing the song by myself thinking that's what the arrangement would sound like, but it just wasn't landing and I was getting bored of it. And um, you'd be able to tell where I was thinking I would take it. The introduction of the song is still like that. But then um, I just got bored and um, started tapping along like some programmed drums like at that fast tempo and um, it really amused me. So I kind of ran with it. And then I also think... I think I recorded it in a different key that was um, lower and I, I wasn't enjoying the key. So I was shifting the pitch of the entire song up and down to seeing if if in any spots it, like, sounded better. Um, 
And then when I got it to that spot, the key that it's remained in, I did like it there, but I pitched it up and my vocals sounded nothing like myself. They were like getting into that chipmunky kind of sound. <laughs> so um, I lowered the what's called the formant, which is not the pitch but the the sound of the, the vocal delivery. Um, for example, if, um, if I sing a note and Johnny Cash sings the same note people might perceive that, you know, his note is lower. It's not actually lower. It's just the tone of his voice, um, mm. you know, is richer in those in those lower frequencies. So, oh, sorry if this is too boring and technical, but... Um, no, the, no, not at all. Well, yeah, so once I had the pitch I liked, I lowered the formant. So I actually lowered the formant um, back down until it was, like, kind of sounding a bit like my voice, but it was just in this weird space and I just I, I remember pressing playback on it to hear it for the first time and I was just like oh it sounds so like it sounds like <laughs> something I didn't make it just is like jumping off the page kind of thing um so I really um stuck with it and that actually became a, a technique that I used for a lot of songs on the album um double tracking the vocals so one would be just my regular voice and then I'd double track it and I'd change the the performance of the double track so and of course I'm just basically trying to emulate some of the techniques that they used to um achieve with tape machines back in the day um messing with the speed of the playback and stuff like that just to give this like um you know unfamiliar quality to to the, the tone of the voice it definitely works, and I feel um, that the the experimentation has paid off. As I mentioned before, for for me right now, um, at the time of recording, uh, Caramel is my favourite. That might change over time, you know. The the more you live with a record, um, I was wanting to to chat as well, Sam. I know that uh, one or two of the other tracks on the record might have had. Like this might have been a second life for them. They were written a little while ago and maybe um, weren't right for previous releases uh, before. I think there was uh, Pleb, uh, Pleb, sorry, Pleb Rock and A Field to Break Your Back In. Uh, they were written many moons ago, one for a different project as well. When you're, when you're going back to revisit these kind of songs and, and see, uh, you know, bits and pieces of what you've previously kind of come up with, how do... Uh, like how do you um, work out what's gold maybe amongst the pebbles or what's usable and um, maybe what hasn't, uh, hasn't been used for, for a reason? Yeah, well, I guess there's always an excess of songs um, is the first thing. Um, most of the stuff that gets worked on in the band um, feels strong, One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
um, like to me or to the bands like early on and, and that's the exact reason why we pursue it. And there's usually enough of that kind of material that's resonating with all of us. Um, yeah, there's usually enough of that material to make a substantial, you know, start on a record and that's always been the case. Um, I'd say the process of making an album always has a few moments where you have some kind of hurdle to get over. Yeah. You know, I don't know what happens, but there's always some reason for everyone to <laughs> suddenly start doubting everything or asking questions or figuring out what the fuck you're doing. Um, <laughs> and we had that a, a couple of times on this record, um, which isn't to say we were we were struggling. We just we're just really more striving to, to always try and do something great. So we put an immense amount of pressure on ourselves and it's only ever a moment away that our minds will flick the switch and we'll be like, is this good enough? Or are we trying hard enough? Are we, you know, are we getting what we want here? And I think around halfway through making the album, when we sort of had a bit of a forced break from recording because we had a bunch of shows we had to get done, um, yeah, so we had a bit of time to sort of pause and reflect and, you know, regroup. And it, during that time, I, and this often happens, you know, I'll start like poking around in my old hard drives and stuff, seeing what songs, what songs have I made and just totally forgotten about. Because, again, sometimes with the perspective of years or getting older and hopefully wiser or just having some new outlook on life. Sometimes you can look back on something that wasn't right at the time or whatever and suddenly be like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Like I've been looking for something just like this, making this new record. Um, Sometimes you might have to tweak lyrics or completely rewrite lyrics, you know, to make it um, fit in your current day life or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just something that's always an option really. So yeah, you're right. Pleb rock. I wrote, I think in 2012 around the time we were making museum. And I think I had a really different vision for that song at the time. I wrote it on piano and I wanted it to be this kind of, um, sort of ballady thing. And it just didn't really work the couple of times we tried it in the band. So it kind of just stayed there. Um, but yeah, looking back through my old hard drives, I found a demo of it that I didn't even remember I had done. That was more like the one that you hear on this new record that was like up tempo and like more driven by the guitars. And I was, I suddenly was like, Oh, we could do it like this. I feel like all the emotion that I wanted from like a kind of stripped back piano ballady version is still there. Like when it's played kind of with energy and with um, a focus on the guitars. So we tackled that one and, and then I feel to break it back in that song was originally just called lions. Um, and we didn't want to name it that cause we already have a song called cocaine Lions, So, um, we gave it a new title and I redid that second verse cause the old verse was a bit shit, <laughs> but it was part of, um, it was a song I did for my solo project, which I haven't done anything on for years, um, called my own pet radio. And, um, that was on the first album I ever made, which has never been released. It's more just something my friends have. And, um, my bandmates know that album. I made it when I was at uni and that's just a song that, we've all known for years and um, we've all joked many times like 
God damn it, that should be a ballpark song. Like that riff is just <laughs> so fun and it's kind of got like the mosh, like new metal tempo, like, and we don't really have anything like that. So, again, just in boredom one day kind of just played it like, hey, hey, should we should we finally do this song? <laughs> like no one really knows it. We may as well. And, yeah. It worked out quite well then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, throughout the last year or so, it hasn't just been um, Ballpark that's been keeping you busy as well. I believe you uh, you had a hand in co-producing the, the forthcoming Alex the Astronaut record as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I've been fortunate enough to work on both her records now. Um, uh, the first one, I'm trying to think what year we actually, I think we recorded most of that in 20. 17 or 18 I can't remember um and then yeah we have the same management um so my manager gave me a call a while ago now to be like you know why fix it if it ain't broke we're kind of keen to have you <laughs> you know do the second Alex record so um you know I was delighted to get the call back um and yeah Daniel um he and I sort of co-produced um the first record and we we did that again but um alex also wanted daniel's brother dean to to participate as well because he'd been teaching alex um guitar she'd been getting guitar lessons off him and they've been hanging out a lot so i think she wanted to have him involved so it was very familiar territory for me to have daniel and dean in the studio like um you know, two people I'm most used to working with. So, yeah, they were really speedy sessions. We recorded nine songs for the album and I think we had ten sessions. So we did a song a day and we had one day of overdubs and and it was done. Like it just – and Alex roped in some other collaborators, like some strings and horns players from overseas that she'd met in her travels and, um, yeah, it got mixed really quickly by an Australian mixer called Miro Mackey. I think he's based in America now too. And uh, when I listened to it, it all just happened so quickly. But I thought the album sounded just awesome, you know, especially with the addition of all the strings and stuff. Like it sounded expensive, you know. I just couldn't believe that <laughs> we'd been part of creating it. It just sounded like something much more grand than something that would have come out of our studio in such a short period of time so yeah that was fun and i've just really been enjoying doing a lot of production for other people too um had a few projects on the go um that's been really rewarding i love it yeah of course other than uh the the most glaringly obvious things that like it's um it's obviously it's not ballpark it's alex or like whoever the artist may be is there any any differing approach that you might take when going into producing like do you kind of feel that you have to take like a little, uh, like a step back a little bit more or do you, um, yeah, I guess like how, how does your approach change with each artist? Um, yeah, so it does, it does differ artist to artist. Obviously each artist is, um, unique and has their own needs and their own vision for what they want. Um, I'm trying to get smarter, um, about making that initial call about whether, um, my general production kind of style or approach is, is suitable for the artists that get in touch. Um, I find if I can 
if me and the artist can make the right decision there, um, you know, then then we we can get off on the right foot and um and and have a great time. I'm trying to yeah be smarter when because some people some people do get in touch and I might hear their music or the kind of music they want to make, but then in speaking to them, you might realise I don't know if I'm the right producer for you um so that's probably the biggest decision to make i think my production style is probably kind of old-fashioned and and not as common anymore i I love recording bands and ensembles i like recording groups of musicians all playing together you know um kind of even though i record digitally um i sort of like pretending like we're recording to tape and i think my experiences of recording to tape just made me value the the process of um, that process more and how that old technology influenced um, the approach to music creation. Um, I find it's like more social and um, and and more rewarding, and I, I think creates more more interesting, more unique music. Um, so, provided I get artists that kind of are down to record like that, and um, you know and know what they want to do and have everything well organized it's it's great um and and i try and really once we're in the studio just um put the artists on a pedestal you know it's really it's really all about them just listening to what they've got in mind and what they want to achieve and just trying to get as close as you can to to their vision of course i you know i i'm creative too so i'll hear things or have ideas and always you know sort of just like you know take it with a grain of salt like i won't be offended at all if this idea sucks but um try and have a comfortable environment where we can all be sharing ideas but um yeah i I love just honoring the artists and hopefully at the end of the day seeing them you know ideally skip out of the studio you know like they're so (laughs) (laughs) overjoyed with having that that um you know, that kind of dream come true feeling where like you had, you, you started the day with a song in your imagination and you leave with like, you know, a file in your inbox that you can binge listen to once you get home, you know, <laughs> you just really want to make them hear what they ha- had in their minds. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think there's um, if, uh, like, even if it's not directly to tape, being able to play uh, like as a collective or a group and um, we would, we we're talking to someone recently that it's it's um it's nice to uh, it's nice to almost have those like the little the little imperfections is sometimes what makes those recordings a bit more like homely or uh, lived in or like it it just like it makes it just connect that little bit nicer. Absolutely, um, I really enjoy doing some planning on the song before we start recording so that we don't get thrust into this world of like infinite possibility because I don't actually think, um, you know, that kind of infinite possibilities that have come with modern recording technology necessarily. um, What am I trying to say? I don't always think, I don't always think it has great outcomes. I think um, beginning the day talking about the song primarily with the writer, but with the band too, getting the arrangement like a bit developed before we start recording. And then uh, provided the band's good enough to all play together, setting everything up um, usually with a vocal too, even if that will get replaced later, um, usually just due to technical reasons like bleed from the drums or whatever excuse me, um, 
I absolutely love getting all the musicians set set up. And um, these days I've really been treating the computer like a tape machine. Like I literally press record once everything's kind of ready to roll and I'll just let it roll for like an hour or an hour and a half and we'll record <laughs> everything, you know, so you get all the conversations in between, all the little moments of the musicians like figuring it out or adjusting their parts. And, um, yeah, it's I love it and it's so great too. It's lots of musicians have kind of looked at me like, so are we just like, are we just playing the song over and over now? And I'm like, yeah, just just keep playing it. <laughs> and I, I think um, they feel so like liberated or like in touch with their musicianship when that becomes the task, not sitting around the computer going, could we do this or could we do this? But actually yeah. standing with their instrument, having their guitar slung over their shoulder for an hour and a half with other musicians just playing. It's like... Like I said, it's more social. Like I just don't I, – I really want to enjoy the social aspects of music. I feel like that's so important. Like um, if that's not there, like I kind of don't give a fuck anymore. Like I'm not really interested in sitting one-on-one trying to, you know, click my way to a hit. I just can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> Firstly, I, I think that is very fair. But secondly, I think that's that's why um, ballpark music has continued to put out like consistently great records that do consistently connect with audiences and that people people love as well. Because I think that that does come across in the music that you guys aren't uh, like you're not just sitting in the studio working out like does this sound like um oh what. Like it's not a meticulously uh, kind of like soulless kind of project for you where you're just an outcome of getting the music. It seems like the journey is the fun for you guys and then that we just kind of seem to to re- uh, reward of that, if you will. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, obviously we've been doing it for a long time now, so um, it's such an honour and a privilege to get to do something like this for as long as we have because you get to just learn so much um stuff as you go along and stuff that lessons that you never could have foreseen for yourself. Um, and it's, and it's been so great. And that's probably been one of the biggest ones is just, um, Oh yeah, it sounds so cheesy, but just like the value of fucking teamwork or whatever you want to call it, just like just doing <laughs> things as a group, um, and letting go of the, this idea that a lot of artists, um, have always had and definitely still have, um, is this um, singular vision like that comes from just one person and you think you're right and you know everything. And I've definitely been guilty of that in the past and it's been like really great to let go of that and to like uh, kind of switch over to genuinely believing that you can actually create your best work in collaboration with other people. And I've like revisited a lot of my favourite music um, that I've enjoyed in my life and I've always loved the songs but now when I listen to the Beatles or Radiohead or Red Hot Chili Peppers or anybody, um, I can hear their camaraderie and, and, and that moment where they actually perform those songs, like all the bulk of the music, the bed, um, together as an ensemble. And it's like I really think listeners um, detect that that friendship and that, that execution of something as a group. And, and, and like, like I said, like we've always had solo artists, but more and more music is created sort of in a vacuum and not in a um, collaborative sense, at least not in terms of, of playing. And um, my, my instinct is that I find too much of that music 
um, soulless. Like I, I really get off on hearing musicians play together. And it could be in any style, but I just want to hear like this organic quality. A hundred percent agreed. I am. Um... I know it might sound like a bit of a broken record now, but I think that, that is where a lot of the success of, um, of ballpark music does come from because it does sound like you guys are, uh, like as you said, it's a moment where it kind of clicks and you can hear that a, like a band is working in sync with one another and it's not like 17 different paths that, that have a different end goal. It's the one path all kind of working together. Um, uh, Sam, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Uh, congratulations again on Weeder and Weeder, which is out now. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. It's been nice to chat music anytime. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Sam Cromack and Ballpark Music for their time. Weeder and Weeder is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record or see them on tour. We also want to give a huge shout out to Anouk at Six Boroughs Media for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning, and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.